I am Bertie Brits and I would like to welcome you to Dynamic Web Church. If you're a first time viewer of Dynamic Web Church, I would just like to say this. You're going to be touched by what God's going to give you today. For all the faithful viewers of Dynamic Web Church, you are so welcome. You are the blessed of God. And I know that you can't wait for more of the Word of God's grace. Now today is Communion Sunday and everybody, you can just get some uh, wine and bread ready or whatever you want to use, whatever elements you want to use for the Communion. Do that. Uh, We're going to have communion today. But I want to open up by reading Psalm chapter 40 and verse 5. Now I want to read this. um, And as I read this, I want you to have Jeremiah 29, 11 in your mind. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. It says, The thoughts that I think towards you are thoughts to prosper you and to give you, and not to harm you, and to give you a hope and an expected end. Now that is what God tells us. He wants to give us a hope and a future. He wants to give us, He's got good thoughts towards us. Now listen to this. He says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou have done, and your thoughts which are towards us, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offerings thou did not desire, mine ears has been opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings has thou not required. Now, isn't that so, so awesome? He speaks about, prophetically about Jesus. He says, when he hears the thought about, thoughts about God and comes to Jesus, he says, people don't need sacrifices anymore for their sins are paid. And that's the wonderful things that David heard when he was meditating and talking to God. God started to reveal these wonderful things to him. Hallelujah. So, all I want to say here, that the number of thoughts that God has towards you to prosper you are endless, cannot be numbered, and His thoughts is not on how you must sacrifice and how you must offer up in order for Him to do something for you, for He has been the one that's made you righteous. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? That is a reason to worship and to praise God. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to have a worship session. After the worship session, I'll speak a little bit on finances. And then we're going to get right into the Word of God. Amen. And we're going to preach on righteousness. I think this is the fourth or fifth Sunday we're talking on righteousness. And I've just discovered some wonderful, wonderful things that I'm excited about and that I want to share with you. You are going to be so blessed. Now, When we go into the worship, I want you to open your heart. Let those words touch your heart. Let it touch your emotions. Let it go deep into your heart so that you can just hear them and that it can touch you. You know, so many times when we worship, we just think of the melody and want to sing. But the whole thing about worship is putting the works of Jesus and what He's done for us in our mouths. And as we speak it, with the music, it touches our hearts as well. And it is just worship towards God. It comes out of a heart of gratitude. So in worship, it's a place where you just worship God through singing. It's also a place where you are also enriched by what you hear that comes out of your mouth. Hallelujah. Just enjoy it. Well, what an honor to just hear this singing, He Loves Us. Imagine we must have been singing, um, I can sing of your laws forever. I can sing of your judgment forever. But now we can sing of His unconditional love, mercy and grace forevermore. I want to read a scripture in Hosea 11. Hosea 11. uh, From verse 1. 
Isaiah 11 and from verse 1. Just a little bit about the love of God, just as an introduction to this message on righteousness. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's in the message translation. It says, When Israel was only a child, I loved him. I called out my son, called him out of Egypt. But when others called him, he ran off and left me. Now listen to this. This is really, really powerful. This is going to touch your life. It says, But when others called him, he ran off and left me. He worshipped the popular sex gods. He played at, at religion with toy gods. Still, I stuck with him. I led Ephraim. I rescued him from human bondage. But he never acknowledged my help. Never admitted that I was the one pulling his wagon. That I lifted him like a baby to my cheek. That I bent down to feed him. Now he was to go back. Listen to this. Now he wants to go back to Egypt or go over to Syria. Any, anything but return to me. That's why his cities are unsafe, the murder rate skyrockets, and every plan to improve things falls to pieces. My people are hell-bent on leaving me. They, play to, uh, they pray to God, Baal, for help. He does not lift a finger to help them. Now listen, this is um, such an important part of this chapter, because it speaks of how Ephraim, how Judah, how... Uh, Israel lives towards God. They were busy with sex gods. They were busy with um, false gods. Now the sex gods, what it talks about there is, uh, it's like in Ephesus, they worshipped the, the goddess Diana, and the way they worshipped her was by everybody had sex with everybody. That's what they talk. Now imagine the type of abomination. Imagine the type of sin. How ugly that is. How filthy that is. And... Um, <clears throat> I mean, that is just so way out against the law, against the nature of God, against everything that's right and good. And then they worshipped other gods, and he named the god Yabal, to the point that the cities are being destroyed because of the crime rate, because of everything they want to do that's good doesn't work, because of all the sin that's there. But listen to God's attitude. And I just want to read the previous scripture verse here again. It says, My people are hell-bent on leaving me. They pray to God, Baal, for help. He doesn't lift a finger to help them. But how can I give up on you, Ephraim? Listen to God's heart. But how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined like Adma, devastated like luckless Zeboam? I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My inside stirs in protest. <coughs> Uh, I am so, um, am so, and so am I not going to act in my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I am God and not a human. I'm the Holy One and I am here in your very midst. Man, isn't that powerful? That's such a powerful scripture. He says, listen, I've destroyed everything. I've, uh, you've destroyed everything. You don't believe in me. You don't live according to the law, but I will not destroy you. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm, con I'm going to continue to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to be good to you. And why? Because I am God. Now listen to this. Let me read it again. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I am God and not a human. I'm the Holy One and I'm here in your very midst. 
Now to me that is such a powerful, powerful scripture. It explains God's heart. It explains who God is. The next verse. The people will end up following God. And <clears throat> this, is, this, is God's, this is why God says this. He says this for this simple reason. He says, I'm going to show my love. Why? For the people will end up following God. I will roar like a lion. Oh, how I'll roar. My frightened children will come running from the west like frightened birds that come from Egypt, from Assyria like scattered doves. I'll move them back into their homes. God's word. Isn't that awesome? And then the last piece there. Ephraim tells lies right and left. Not a word of Israel can be trusted. Judah, meanwhile, is no better addicted to cheap gods. Now, this is what God says about His people. But the way He acts towards them is an action of love. He's not, going, he's not saying, well, you know, they've done these things wrong, I want to just destroy them. Now, this is also speaking prophetically about Jesus that would come out of Egypt. And that's what the Bible also says, speaks prophetically about Jesus. And when Jesus came and followed God, He did it all on our behalf. He was our representative. He followed after God. And when He followed after God, me and you, we were following after God in Him. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are obedient. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are seen as righteous. If you are in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter uh, uh, what you've done, you are seen as holy. And today you might be watching this for the very first time. Maybe you've committed ugly sins. Maybe you've done things so wrong. Maybe you feel so guilty about things that you've done that you feel, man, I don't know if God will ever love me. Now, look at what they've done. They've been lying left and right. They've been trusting in false gods. They were playing with sex gods. They were such an evil people, never wanting to live uh, by what God tells them. Nobody seeking God. Their mouths full with death and hatred towards God. And God says, I will not destroy them. Man, isn't that awesome? That is just such a token of God's love. And if He could say such a thing in Isaiah 11 towards Old Testament people, how much more in the New Testament where the sins of the world has been taken away by Jesus Christ, where you are forgiven, where you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. There's no way that God will not save you in the last day. There's no way where you will not, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, be seen as guilty if you are in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven, for He is your Savior. You are not your own Savior. Hallelujah. That is the goodness of of God. Now I want to go over to First Timothy and we're going to just touch on finances but if we look at the foundation from, from where God blesses people He did not like, we, like I read earlier today uh, He did not say well I want sacrifices then I'm going to bless you He said when David heard the mind of God He said I heard something in your mind and that is my God that you don't desire sacrifices that you don't desire offerings Now, we might say it's just a sin offering. No, he said offerings. Not just one offering, offerings. There was no offering that God desired. Because no offering could bring a man to a point of righteousness before God. No sin offering, talking about the offerings of bulls and goats and doves and all those type of things, could ever cleanse anybody from sin. The only thing that could ever wash away our sins was the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Just the blood of Jesus. Amen. Now, so many times when it comes to finances, we want to bring an offering. We want to be perfect before God's going to bless us. 
But here we've read in Hosea that God says, I will not destroy my people even if they do something wrong. I will not destroy them. Why? Why will God not do this? Because I am God and not a human. You know, the reason why God forgives us is because He's not a human. You will find human beings don't want to forgive each other. It's always a struggle. Is He must first pay. Even if He says He's sorry, it doesn't matter. If he, we, uh, last night we spoke about a TV show and a certain man had this TV show and somebody came and he said, man, I was sorry. You know, he was in jail for a couple of years for things he did wrong. I think committed a murder. And this guy was just nailing him for what he did wrong. And he paid for 16 years. And after he paid for 16 years for what he's done wrong, he came out on parole um, and then he was still hammered for the thing he's done. And that's just human beings. You know, they must pay for their sins. But that's not God. God is a God that does not want to impute sins to you. God is not a God that wants to see you punished for your sins. That's not His desire. That's not who He is. Human being says, yes, he's done something wrong, he must pay for what he's done. And that's the way it works in this sinful, broken world. But that's not the way it works in heaven. That's not the way it works with God. And, but that's the way it works between human beings. And I want you to know this. Don't think, now you will find people, if the Lord is in them and the Lord works through their hearts, that they will naturally forgive you and forgive you from the depths of their being. Because that's what God changes into as we start to fellowship with Him and as we start to understand what he, uh, um, how He loves us. But don't expect people to act towards you the way God acts towards you. They're not going to do it. So many times we do something wrong and we just want the whole world to forgive us. They're going to struggle. Because that's the way people are. But that's not the way God is. And I don't want any one of you that's listening to this broadcast today ever to think that you must see God in the perspective of your father or your mother or God in the perspective, perspective of your pastor or your duomeny or leader or somebody. Don't see God in that perspective, for that is a human being. He speaks for God. Yes, and the words that he says is supposed to be from God. But you must always know that he's a human being. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to say things wrong. And he is not the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. It doesn't matter what people do and what people say. They are not the representatives of of who God is. God is a God of unconditional love. He's a God of forgiveness. This is what he says in Hosea. I am not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I am God and not a human. I am the Holy One and I am here in your very midst. Now this is people that's been sinning and God says, I'm still in your midst. I've never left you. I'm not going to forsake you. For I cannot even think of leaving you. My inside protests, it turns in protest. I cannot even think of deserting you. That's what God says towards Old Testament sinners. God's attitude is a God of love. Now when it comes to finances, we so many times feel that God cannot bless us, God cannot help us, God cannot um, be there for us, for we have not tithed, we have not sown, we have not given to the poor, we have not done this, we have not done that. And that's all things that God does God says He does not desire in order for you to be blessed. He does not desire sacrifices. He does not desire offerings in order for you to be blessed. But when you make an offering, 
it can be a beautiful offering unto God. And that's what the Bible says. Some of the offerings we, we bring to God is sweet smelling. It's wonderful to God. And the only thing that I believe is wonderful to God is the fruit of righteousness. It means if you've been made righteous by Jesus, if you've received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and He lives in you, and He starts to live through you, and God sees His nature starting to indwell you, and out of that you start to give, that is sweet smelling to Him. But nothing you do, even if you try by the purest motive to do something in order for, for you to be blessed of God, it stinks in the nostrils of God. It's not good enough. No sacrifice that you can ever make for the kingdom of God is good enough if it comes out of your own power. And we can read that in uh, 1 Corinthians. Let me read that in 1 Corinthians. Oh, sorry, I missed it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, listen, listen to this. And so many times we don't think of these things. You know, the Bible says, and I said the previous uh, broadcast last Sunday, there's no one righteous, no, not one. By your own work, there's no one righteous. If you think that you are justified by your works, you are just as guilty as what these people were that we just read about in Hosea 11. There's nothing you can do that can make you righteous before God, but faith in that He makes you righteous by the blood of Jesus. That is all. Listen to good works here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now the love that it talks about here is not just loving people. It talks about love in the context of what Jesus has done for us. If I can speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I don't live that by the revelation of what Jesus has done for me, and it flows out of who I am in Christ, I am still nothing. And though I give the gift, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow, listen to this, this is human love, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt and have not love, it profits me nothing. So love is that which we need. And the Bible says herein is love, that He gave His Son so that we through His Son can live. So if we've got the thing that says, I don't live by who I am, but I live by who He is in me. He lives through me. Now I want to put this in different words. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but I don't have Jesus in me doing this through me, I am still nothing but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries, and I've got all knowledge, and though I have all the faith that I can could move mountains, but I have not Jesus living in me, doing it through me, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt, and I don't have Jesus in me, doing it through me, it profits me nothing. Hallelujah. Man, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we can understand that God meets our needs according to what He's done for us. God's attitude is not towards what have I done wrong. When it comes to finances, so many times we are so afraid because we say, if I have not deposited money into my heavenly bank account and I come to a problem in front 
uh, in the future, God's not going to meet my need, for I have not deposited money into my heavenly bank account. And many of our charismatic uh, preachers and Pentecostal preachers are guilty of preaching a message telling people that you must deposit money into your heavenly bank account so that God can see that you've done something in the kingdom of God and then only will God start to do something for you. Now, how does that um, flow together with Hosea 11 where we see the attitude of God and where He took that love and manifested it in Jesus Christ by taking away the sin of the world? How does that correlate with what Jesus has done by he, Him being rich, that He became poor so that we through His poverty might be made rich? So I want to say this to you. There's a God in heaven that is not just in heaven, but that is with you today, in the midst of all the things that you've done wrong, not there to judge you, for He is God, not there to punish you, for He is God, but there to help you and deliver you, and like uh, um, the message says, to roar like a lion. And He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Savior of mankind. The way God roared was the way God made known His power was in what is done on the cross and through his unconditional love his children will run back to him for the bible says in romans 2 verse 4 don't despise the goodness of god don't you know the goodness of god is what leads you to repentance hallelujah so i want to say to you god meets your needs even if you've done something wrong he can still help you he can still bless you and i want to read this scripture um in first timothy chapter 6 it says But godliness with contentment is great gain. Hallelujah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothes, let us be there with content. Now, in Afrikaans it's beautiful. It's the word tefreda. Tefreda means at peace. Hallelujah. Let's have peace with that. Okay, let's be content with that. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish, hurtful lusts um, which drawn men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So what he's saying here, there are people that is really desiring finances and because they've desired money so badly, they've gone away from the faith or the message of grace and they've fallen back into the law because of the need for finances. And because they're not at a place where they're happy with what they have, knowing that God meets all the needs through what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Amen. So um, that's just what I want to say. And may you just have... Peace in your heart through that. God is a God that loves you. God's a God that blesses you. God's a God that gives you mercy. God's a God that gives you righteousness. And He's a God that doesn't walk in anger with you or towards you every day. Now, let's continue with the message of righteousness. Amen. We're going to go to Psalm 40, verse 9 to 10. Psalm 40, verse 9 to 10. This is uh, prophetically about Jesus We've touched on this the previous two Sundays and I would like to read this and just um, explain to you faith. Because without faith, we cannot walk in righteousness. Without faith, we cannot receive righteousness. The Bible clearly says that we have been made righteous by Jesus through faith. We've been made righteous by faith. So, without faith, there's no righteousness. 
But what must we believe? What must we faith in? Now, faith is not something that you must try to work up in your heart. Faith is not something that you must say, well, um, you know, I'm doubting, but I'm going to try to believe. That's not going to work. Faith is something that is supposed to be uh, a fruit of listening to the unconditional love of God. Faith is something that is supposed to be, um, comes up in your heart as you listen to what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to, and I've said it many times, it's like fear. You don't have to go for five lessons in how to fear. All you need to do is get a bad report. If you get a bad report with enough evidence that that report is the truth, you will find fear in your heart. Fear is a fruit of what you hear. In the same way, faith is a fruit of what you hear. If you hear the right thing, you will have faith. Now, the only way that you can get into righteousness is by faith. That's why you need to hear the right thing, otherwise you will never be righteous before God. Now, that is actually frightening. And that's, I mean, in in Hebrews chapter 4, and I I don't want to be mistaken by this, but let me just see, I think it's Hebrews chapter 4. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1, just listen to this, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So what he says is, listen, you should be afraid that you might not enter into the rest. And now that you might say that, but that doesn't sound like grace. Let me explain to you. Just before that, and in chapter 4 in Hebrews, he explains the whole thing of what Jesus has done for us and what he's telling the Hebrews or the Jews. He is saying to them, listen guys, you must Be afraid because you are actually in the law and by you loving the law so much, you might not enter because you don't want to receive it by grace because you are all the time tampering with the law. All the time you want to mix the law with the thing. Or the only way where you can know for sure that you are saved is by the grace of God and by the mercy of God and that you became righteous by faith. That's the only way that you can for sure say that you are saved. But if you are tampering with the law, if you are all the time in the law, thinking that you're justified by what you do, you know it's like Prophet T.B. Joshua says. It says your salvation is questionable. You might be saved. Because you might believe. But who knows if you believe. (laughs) Because you are half, with with one foot you're in the law and with the other one you're in grace. It's safer to stand just in grace. It's much safer. It's much safer to say, by nothing that I do, I can be saved. Only by what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's the only way for salvation. If you can have that attitude, you know for sure you are saved. But if you don't have that attitude, you might not be saved. And that's what the Bible teaches us. And that's the problem today. And that's, that's what he says in Hebrews chapter 4. Watch out, fear, labor to enter into the rest, lest you don't enter into the rest. So let's make an effort not to see how close we can get to the law and get by with some law things. But let's see how deep we can get into grace. Because that's the only place where you are sure that you are saved. That's the only place where you are sure that you are provided for. 
So many times we think, you know, yes, it's by grace, but I'm just going to make sure by what I do that God's going to save me and God's going to bless me and I'm going to be righteous before God. The Bible says only by faith can we enter, so we must make sure that what we hear is faith-promoting. A message that says, by what I do, God's going to bless me, is not faith-promoting. It puts no, You don't need any faith in who God is and in what He's done in order to live that way. The Bible says those who read the law must live by the law. You will live by the law. Those who do the things of the law, you who want to be justified by the law, you can live by that law. You don't need any faith in God. You don't need to believe anything in what Jesus Christ has done for you. The cross has been separated from you. You have fallen from grace and you've fallen into the law and you will live by the law. And that's how you'll find your life. And there are people that live by the law. They find a certain degree of life by what they do for God. And they think that it is Jesus that brought it to them. And they think it's their faith. But in the meantime, they've had no faith. For a message that you need no faith has been preached to them. You don't need any faith if somebody tells you, just pay your tithes and God's going to bless you. You don't need any faith. Just do the thing. What faith do you need? You don't need any faith. Just love people, then God's going to love you. Why do you need faith? You don't need any faith. You need obedience to the commandment. But if there's a message that says, Jesus obeyed on your behalf, and Jesus obeyed on your behalf, and you've been made righteous by His obedience, you need faith. You need to believe that. And that faith is reckoned to you as righteousness. Hallelujah. Now, let's just read Psalm 40, verse 9 to 10. And we just see what the righteousness of God is and what is done and out of what is done we'll see what we need to believe and that that puts us in this place of righteousness. Um, Verse 9, it says, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your righteousness, or, and this is now what he says, I have declared your faithfulness, I have declared your salvation, I have not concealed your loving kindness, and thy truth from, uh, and hid thy truth from the great congregation. Hallelujah. So what he said is, I have preached your righteousness, but I have, and then he explains righteousness, I've spoken about your faithfulness, your salvation, and your loving kindness. Amen. Um, Eliana, can you just put on the air conditioner? There's no fresh area. Amen. Right, so, the first thing that I want to talk about here is faithfulness. His righteousness is His faithfulness. Now, what is faithfulness? Another word for faithfulness is loyalty. So, Jesus said, when I preached about the Father, I spoke about His loyalty. When I spoke about God, I spoke about His loyalty. And His loyalty can be seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 8. It says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, He will confirm us unto the end. Now confirming unto the end, the way I see confirming unto the end is very simple. Confirming unto the end is, He is going to render you as blameless and righteous unto the end. He's not going to stop halfway. He's not going to say halfway through your Christian walk, well, you know, um, Bert has done this thing wrong, I can't 
confirm him unto the end. I cannot uh, see him as blameless anymore. No, he will be faithful to confirm you unto the end. And let's read verse 8 and 9 in one sitting now. It says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So faithfulness is seen towards or seen in the light of you being seen as blameless by Jesus Christ and in His fellowship. Hallelujah. So Jesus, when He talked about the righteousness of God, He spoke about how He sees you as blameless continually. That is the righteousness of God. So because the righteousness of God consists out of three basic things. It is faithfulness, salvation and loving kindness. Salvation. Let's go to Romans 3.25. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Romans 3.25. So when we talk about the righteousness of God, we talk about His holy way of living. Amen. His holy way of living is how He was willing to be good to you, how He was willing and is still willing to see you as righteous forevermore. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So what he is saying, let me read this uh, verse 24 and 25 together and you understand better. It says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So he says we are justified freely by grace through the salvation or the redemption that there is in Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus preached to people. This is the righteousness of God. And then he said, Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins in His blood to declare His righteousness to declare His righteousness, His righteousness, what He's done for you, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So He declared His righteousness for your remission of sins. So by His righteousness, He declared you forgiven, He made you righteous, and that is His righteousness. He was so righteous that He was willing to make a sinner righteous. That's how righteous God is. He's such a good God, such a forgiving God, such a holy God, that He was willing to make sinners righteous. He was willing to say, this sinner, if he can believe on me, that I've got the ability to make him righteous by forgiving his sins by my blood, if he can believe that I can make him righteous, that day he'll be forgiven and seen as holy, as holy as what God is. Man, that is awesome. That is His salvation. So Jesus went around and He declared the righteousness of God according to Psalm 40 verse 9 to 10. What He declared was the faithfulness of God. But the problem that we have today is so many times when we read the Bible, when we study the Scriptures, we don't see God's faithfulness, but the pressure is put on how faithful we must be to Scriptures. How faithful we must go to church. How faithful, uh, how faithful we must tithe. Because we think our, that is the righteousness of people. That's man's righteousness. That's preaching the righteousness of man. But we want to hear the righteousness of God. Because His righteousness was declared unto our salvation and unto our remission of sins. This is what it says. Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation or the sacrifice 
through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins. Too many times we want to declare our righteousness for the remission of sins. No, His righteousness must be declared for the remission of sins. What is His righteousness? It is His loyalty to render you righteous and to see you as perfect before God all the time. That's what it says. Then Romans, uh, and, and I mean that is First Corinthians chapter 1. He is faithful. He is faithful to faithfully, without end, see you as blameless. Even until the Lord Jesus returns, He will confirm you so that you can be blameless in the day of our Lord. That is His righteousness. Amen. His salvation. Him declaring His righteousness for your salvation. And then, a very, very powerful thing, it is His loving kindness. Jesus said, I have declared thy loving kindness. Amen. What is loving kindness? The word loving, I studied this out and this is so, so powerful. The word loving is uh, entertaining a strong affection for something. That's the word loving. So he's got loving kindness. Entertaining, the loving part that's in God's heart is entertaining a strong affection for something. And then kindness is a goodwill, benevolence, the temper or disposition which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. <laughs> Hallelujah! Kindness is the disposition or the, uh, the character of, that says, I delight in contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised, in, in, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes. Supplying their wants or lifting their distresses. A quality of nature. Kindness ever accompanies love. Man, that is so powerful. It is, it's, it's mind-boggling. So what Jesus said, He said, Father, I have declared your loving kindness. Now when He said that, He said, I have declared your strong affection to contribute to the happiness of others, which you exercise cheerfully, gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, and lifting their distresses. Man, isn't that... That is something. That is something that is greater than what any person could ever think. That is something that is greater than what any man can ever imagine. That is now uh, what we just read in Isaiah 11 placed in a definition. God says, You are going after false gods. You are worshipping sex gods. I lift you up and you don't see it as me doing it. And I will not act according to the wrath that's in my heart. I am not going to judge you. If I think of destroying you, my inside protests against it. I cannot do it. For I am God and I am not a human being. Man, isn't that awesome? And this is the thing. 
for you in order to be righteous, you need to hear a message of His faithfulness. You need to hear a message of His righteous deeds towards man, which is that He died for you, that He lived for you, that He obeyed for you, that He was resurrected on your behalf. That's what you need to hear. And then you need to hear a word of His loving kindness, His strong affection to contribute to your happiness which He exercised cheerfully in gratifying your wishes. Isn't that awesome? Supplying to your wants and lifting your distresses. distresses. Man, it is mind-boggling. It is so good to think that God has got such a strong, strong affection that he, that he loves and delights in contributing to your happiness. He wants to contribute to your happiness. You know what brings me joy? And this is the way God made me. What brings me joy is if I can preach the gospel to people. That brings me joy. And He'll contribute to my happiness. He'll make it possible for me to do it. And another thing, you know what, like, what I also like, what makes me happy, is if I can go ride on my motorbike. Now, you might say, well, that is not very spiritual. That's not very uh, into the things of God. It doesn't matter. Because God's vision is not to try and uh, He doesn't have a strong affection to satisfy Himself. The Bible says He's got a strong affection. If you take the word loving kindness and study it out, He's got a strong affection to contribute to my happiness. Not to His happiness. What makes Him happy is when I'm happy. Hallelujah. What makes me happy as a father is to see my children happy. What makes me happy as a husband is to see my wife's happy. What makes me happy as uh, uh, an employer is to see that the people that work in the ministry is happy. And I want to do things to make, it, to, to make it nice for them to work for me. To make it nice for them to be in the ministry. That, that makes me happy. So what makes God happy is to see that you are happy. It's the way it is. And when God's nature indwells you, His things makes you happy and He gives it towards you. But there might be other things that make you happy. The healing of one of your children. Maybe I'm happy when I ride on my motorbike. But the thing is, we've got such little faith in who God is that we don't believe that He might supply you a motorbike or the computer you want or the dress you want or the thing you really want. Because we believe God can only meet the things that pertains to the ministry and pertains to winning the lost. God can meet more of that, more than that. I tell you the truth. God's richer than that. God's not threatened when somebody wants something outside of winning the lost. God will meet every need you have. If there's a need in your heart, and and now you might say this is heresy and wrong doctrine, but if there's a need in your heart to take your wife to the theater and it's going to cost 200 rand or 300 rand or whatever it's going to cost for that ticket, and you might say that's expensive, and you want to make that need known to God, and you've got faith in your heart that God loves you so much, that He's such a loving, kindness God, that He's got a strong affection, and He delights in contributing to my happiness, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes. Now man, open your ears and listen. (laughs) Hallelujah. 
the way God delights in contributing to your happiness is in exercising, it's exercised in cheerfully gratifying your wishes. So the way God says that you will be made happy is by Him gratifying your wishes. Now every person's got a wish to be saved. Everybody's got a wish to be healed. Everybody's got a wish in the depths of his being to know God. Everybody's got a wish for happiness. But all that we need to do is believe that God is a God that will show you that goodness. For that is His righteousness. And if we can know His righteousness for His If we can know His righteousness, we'll receive salvation. For He's given His righteousness for our salvation. Hallelujah, man. I almost said, I wish I could preach this all over the world, but I'm busy doing it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. This is the good news. This is what God has got for us. Amen. Now, we have, uh, 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 I think I've mentioned it before, I don't know, but um, we are starting our own internet television station for this purpose that we can take this message of the loving kindness of God and preach it all over the world that's the vision we want the whole world to know this and the reason why we want a a station and not just the website is we want other preachers to broadcast on that station saying the very same thing you know I've come to people where I preach this message and they say badly this is good news but you might be the only freak that believes this and then they hear another guy say this on another channel six months later, another guy three years later, and then they say, well, more than one guy says this, let me study this out, and then they start to believe it. But imagine a channel where we've got 40 or 50 broadcasters that say the very same thing. Imagine a place where you can slot into 24-7, and you don't ever have to be afraid of what you're going to hear. And you know from the depths of your being, if I listen to any of these guys preaching on this channel, that it will be good news. It will confirm me unto the end. They are faithful. They're walking in the faithfulness of God concerning confirming people unto the end. They are blameless before God. That's where we want to start. Because there's a, 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 a need and a desire in the hearts of people all over the world to have such a channel and such a message being preached to them. Amen. Then we get grace preachers on different channels. They they preach on this channel as well. And then they hook the fish. They catch the people on the other channels. And then they direct them to a grace channel. Now that sounds, if I want to steal sheep. Man, listen. If I'll do anything so that people can get into grace. And if people are offended because it's... uh, uh, people want to slot into a just grace channel, my brother, then you're going to be very offended. Because people are drawn to love. People are drawn to a place where they hear that Jesus done it for them. People are drawn to a place where they don't have to give a thousand dollars for you to pray for them. People are drawn to a place where they don't have to fast and pray 20 days and, and then live holy for a month before God's going to do something good for them. People will be drawn to it. I know that and I know that it it will be persecuted and people will say bad things about that channel and call call it names and stuff. But that doesn't bother me at all. And the nicest thing about this channel is I don't have to beg, beg people, twist people's arms for money. Because God will just work in the heart of somebody and that's the way it's going to work. And He'll give it out of the... Uh, abundance of his heart and contribute to that to that station and what's nice about that station it will broadcast all over the world and we're just going to use about 
$2,000 a month. And that's it. <laughs> Imagine that. Now that is awesome. That's what God has placed upon our hearts. And that is just to get this message out. So God's heart is a heart that says, I want to be a God to you that says, um, I, I want to contribute and I want to, and I delight in contributing to your happiness. To do what? To cheerfully gratify your wishes. Supplying their wants and lifting their distresses. Man, he's a God of loving kindness. He's a God, that's his righteousness. That's just who he is. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that says that his loving kindness is, is uh, uh, um, there's no end to it. It's wilder and broader than anything you can imagine and that he delights in having loving kindness towards you. I think it's Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Let, let me just have a look um, in that. It just comes to my, came to my mind now. Let's just see. Uh, yeah, listen to this. Jeremiah 9, 24. 23 and 24. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man uh, in his glory in his wisdom. The word glory means to boast or to brag about. It's, but let him that wants to brag about something say this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord God exercising loving kindness. If you want to say something about God, say that He is a God that exercises. That word exercise means to make known in the wildest and broadest manner. If you want to say something about God, say that I know God for myself. He's a God that makes known in the wildest and broadest manner His uh, his contribution to our happiness, which He cheerfully um, exercises by granting us all our wishes, supplying our wants, and lifting all our distresses. And He does that from a strong affection and a power that's in Him to do it. If you don't want to say that about God, keep quiet. Because God says, don't boast in how much money you've made by your principles. Don't boast in how wise you are by what you know out of your own power in human arrogance. But if you want to boast in something, boast in what God has done for you. Boast in who He is. Boast in this, saying, I know for myself, I've experienced for myself. That word know there is the same word um, as what was used when it says, and Adam knew Eve and and had twins. I've been intimate with God. That's what David said. In, uh, um, that's what David said in Psalm 40. I've been intimate with God. I've heard His thoughts. His thoughts are more than what we can ever count or think of. I can't even imagine how much thoughts He's got towards me. And when I heard His thoughts, I heard this: He doesn't desire sacrifices. Man, that's awesome. Now, if you go, if you think that God desires all these things, sacrifice for you to be blessed, you've not been intimate with God. Now, I don't want to condemn you, but I want to just tell you the, the facts about what's happening in your life. We must come to a place where we can come boldly, like it says in Jeremiah, and say that I know Him, that He makes known in the wildest and broadest manner His loving kindness, His benevolence, His 
character contributing to my happiness, which He exercises cheerfully in uh, gratifying my wishes, supplying my wants and lifting my distresses. Man, if you think that God is a God that brings distresses, you're wrong. And the problem is, we think that God is a God that brings distress. Oh, the Yerah toots me. God's testing me now. You know, He's testing me. He's putting me through a hard time to show me now what, what I, uh, to show me a hard times to get more holiness out of me. How's a hard time going to produce holiness in your life? It does not. God brings holiness by His Holy Spirit. And then His Spirit bears fruit whenever hard times comes, while God is lifting that distress from me, which the enemy or the world or situations or people want to put on me. Or on you. That's what the Scripture teaches us. Amen. I think we need to go and study the Bible from a perspective that says, I want to see God as only good God. I want to see a God as a God of forgiveness. I want to see a God as as a God of faithfulness. Now, let's get to what I want to say today. We've said that only by faith we enter into the righteousness of God. We've been made righteous by grace through faith. Okay? So without faith you've got no access into the grace. Now we need to hear something specific in order for us to be saved or to receive this righteousness. We need to hear the message of the good news of God. The good news of God is the message of His righteousness that He gave us so that we can be saved. And what is His righteousness? We need to hear a message of the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to hear a message of that He died on your your behalf, that He obeyed on your behalf, that He grants your wishes. And I I spoke to somebody last Sunday, and you know the moment you say, you know, God will grant you your wishes, there's a little bit of tension, because what if it doesn't happen? What if it happens? What if your wish is that your child, uh, your, your wish for your child is that he will be successful in this life, can't you think that God might grant it to you? It can happen. Paul's wish was not to be a rich man. His wish was to preach the gospel all over the world. And God did give him his wish. Hallelujah. That's it. Now, I do believe that God, God gave to Peter. God gave to Paul. God gave to, and to those people, let me tell you something. For Paul, or for Peter, it was an honor to die for Jesus. It was an honor to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was not, oh, they're going to kill me. Oh, let me tell you something. If you stand in front of a place where they want to kill you for the gospel, and you've got grace in your heart, you are fearless. I've been in Malawi, and we've preached amongst the Muslims. And when I preached and I showed the Jesus form, they became aggressive. People wanted to stone us. It was me and my wife and my, my children. We were there and we had some other people that joined us as well. The, uh, um, the, the, the guy who interpreted was scared because he knew what they were saying. I didn't know what they were saying. Then, uh, and then afterwards I realized these guys, they started to become aggressive. And it came to my mind, maybe they want to harm us or something. You know what happened to me? 
the grace of God brought a boldness in me and I rebuked him. I chased him home. The guy who was trying to get this riot going, I said, listen, you are disturbing people you want to hear from God. Go home. And he went home. It was just by the grace of God. And I think if they would have started stoning us there, God would have given us grace to go through that thing. Because my wish would be to go through that without pain and to be with God. Or if I can, my wish could have been to survive it. God can give it to us. Hallelujah. Don't see God as a God that doesn't love you enough to be good to you. See God as a God that loves you enough to be good to you. See God as a God that loves you enough that He blesses you and that He has already blessed you. Go around saying, I know God. He's a God that grants my wishes. But the problem we've got today, we go around making excuses why wishes aren't granted. We go around saying, you know, yeah, it's because you haven't lived right, because you haven't done this right, because you haven't believed enough, because this and that and whatever. But let me tell you this. We can come to a place where we can say, my faith is towards God that is good. My faith is in that He confirms me unto the end. That He saves me by His righteousness. My faith is in His loving kindness. My faith is here in His love that I live through Him and not through my works or the works of the law. And as my faith is in that, I find righteousness in my heart. And as righteousness comes in my heart because I have really been made righteous, you know what happens then? I receive my justification, which is... Now, this is so wonderful. The word righteousness means to be as one ought to be before God. Justification means the proof of your righteousness. That's just the way it is right there in the Thai definition. The proof of your righteousness or the manifestation of your righteousness. So you become righteous. Well, I've become righteous. I've become the healed in Jesus' name. I've become the prosperous in Jesus' name. I've become the anointed of God in Jesus' name because of what Jesus done for me. And then as you believe that and you've been made righteous and you continue to believe that, you find your justification. You find the proof of your righteousness manifesting in your life effortlessly. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to have communion today and we're just going to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. Um, Liliana, can you just bring me the wine and the bread, please? As we take communion, I want you to meditate on what Jesus has done for you. When you think of His body and when you think of His, His blood, you think of what He's done for you. And you've been made righteous with the righteousness of God. Now, last Sunday I've explained this. We are not made righteous with just the righteousness of the law. As, imagine what a type of person God must be to say that He walks in loving kindness and that He delights to make His loving kindness known into all the world. His loving kindness being Loving kindness being having a strong desire inside his innermost being to bless you and grant you your wishes and to contribute to your happiness. Imagine, and and that towards sinners. Imagine how righteous a person must be to be like that. How holy he must be to be like that. And then, when Jesus died for you, when you believe on him, His righteousness is imputed to you. Then you are seen by God 
as holy and as wonderful as what He is and all of that is a gift to you. If you can just believe it. The problem today is people can't believe it because they don't hear such a message. Because you cannot believe in something you have not heard. That's why I say, man, let's, let's fear lest we don't enter. Don't tamper with the law. Don't tamper with uh, a doctrine of inclusion because it takes away your faith. Don't tamper with the law because it tells you that you uh, must do things to be like... It takes away the loving kindness of God. It takes away His, his forgiveness and His mercy and, and His love. When it comes to the body of Jesus, what we see is, we see His body as, as broken. And as I break this bread, take the bread that you've got there with you in your house and just break it. And as you break it, you see His body that was broken for you. Hallelujah. And as you eat His flesh, the Bible says, when you eat of this bread, this signifies the flesh of Jesus Christ. This is not the body of Jesus. If you eat this bread, Jesus said, this is my body. Take, eat of it. Now, if, if it was literally his flesh, he would have taken a knife and cut the piece off his thumb and said, eat, this is my body. Why did he say, if, when he took the bread and he said, eat, this is my body, I mean, why didn't he just take a piece of his physical body and give it if he wanted this to be his physical body? This was not his physical body, that's a wrong doctrine. This signifies his body. Because we think now, if we don't eat this thing, then we, we not gonna, if we don't have communion, then we're now um, not going to be saved. The guy that hanged next to Jesus upon the cross never had communion. Never. He never ate of the body of Jesus, not once. He never drank his blood. He never did that. So never think that your salvation is in taking communion. Your salvation is in what you believe about it. What do you believe about the body of Jesus today? What do you believe about this that was broken? I believe His body was broken so that I could be whole. I believe His body was broken so that He could stand up in a new body. Amen. I believe He became a human being for me. I believe the chastisement for my peace was upon Him in His physical body. And when I eat that, I say with my mind, it becomes something physical, like anointing somebody with oil or something like that. It's just a physical thing that helps us in our faith. As I eat of this, I say publicly before everybody, I understand what this body is about. Don't take of the communion in an unworthy way. An unworthy way is not understanding what it's all about. We always thought that when we take of the communion in an unworthy manner, it is because I've got sin in my life. And now I go and I pray and I say, Oh God, forgive me all my sins. And then I say, Well, now I'm worthy because I'm forgiven. Now I can partake of the body of Jesus. No, no, the body was broken for sinners. Hallelujah. So what we do is, we say, Even if I've got sin in my life, I, I know one thing. This body was broken that I'm forgiven. Amen. And I partake of this. This body was broken so that I can be healed and not die before the time. That I can live a long, successful, healthy life in this world. Thank you, Jesus. And you take of it, and you eat of it, and you eat of it by faith. That is taking communion in a worthy manner. An unworthy manner is not understanding what it's all about. If you come with a perspective of the law, and you eat of the communion, you just eat condemnation over yourself. Condemnation over yourself, not saying God's going to punish you, but condemnation over yourself, because you are, not, you are actually saying, I believe in the law and not in Jesus. 